You are listening to an episode of Dope with Lime, a production of the Lillian E. Smith Center at Piedmont University. Each episode of Dope with Lime explores the life, work, and legacy of Lillian E. Smith. Subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud, and make sure to follow us on Twitter at LES underscore center. Welcome. My name is Matthew Touch, and I am the director of the Lillian E. Smith Center at Piedmont University. Today, I am sitting here at the Lillian Smith Center again, as I was last time, with Tommy Scanlon, who is an, on the advisory board of the Lillian Smith Center. She is also a professor emerita of art from the University of North Georgia. She taught there probably three or four decades, if you, yeah, since the 70s. Um, she is also a internationally known weaver and tapestry artist and does other art as well. Currently, some of her work is on display at the Mason Scharfenstein Museum at Piedmont University. She has two books under her belt and is working on the third one should be coming out soon. And we're just sitting here today talking to her about Lillian Smith, the center, her work, and how this space has actually inspired that work. So thank you for joining me today, Tommy. Thank you. Matthew, thanks for asking. Yeah, it's great to see you because every time you come up here, I see you in some way. And I'm really happy that Rebecca got the exhibit at the museum because I was very, very impressed. I knew your work, but I was very impressed that almost everything at the exhibit had to do with Lillian Smith um, with the center, which we can talk about in a second. But before we kind of even get to your work, I mean, how did you even find out about this place? Could you kind of tell me that story, and it's important. Yeah, um, I've been going to the Hambage Center for a number of years. I had a first residency there in 1994. And the Hambage Center is the the Mary Hambage Center in In, Dillard, right? uh, In Dillard, yeah, Rabin Gap, um, down Betty Creek Road. (laughs) Anyway, in Rabin County. Gorgeous um, road. And I had... Uh, a chance to be talking to my friend Peggy McBride, who had Globe Gallery in Clayton, one day when I was at Hambage Center and in town to pick up groceries or something. <laughs> and Peggy said, you know, there's another resident, artist residency center in the county. And I said, no, I didn't know that. And she said, it's just down the road a little ways. It's called the Lillian Smith Center, Lillian E. Smith Center. And Peggy had been to a conference or a symposium that had been held there that summer, I think it was. So I found out more information about it, and I um, applied in 2009 was when I was first, um, first came to the center. And I think I spent two weeks here in 2009 and did a lot of uh, artwork I did a lot of weaving, brought a loom with me, a small Mm -hmm. loom, and I remember parking the car, and Peggy came up with me to show me where to come, and Robert Victor, uh, who was the husband of uh, Nancy Smith, Victor, um, who began the center, Robert and Peggy helped me carry the loom in, so we (laughs) went up the stone steps, down the wooden porch, with this little floor loom, and I wove um, throughout that two weeks' time. So, it yeah, was and good. You, we could get off on a side thing too, but you mentioned the Hambage Center, and I think the Hambage Center, especially for you as a weaver, is important. Mm-hmm. So, 
for the listeners who may not know, can you just tell us a little bit about Mary Hambage and why she's important, at least for, for tapestry and weaving, and right. why the Hambage Center is important for that? Right. The Hambage Center has a long history as an artist residency center. Um, Mary Hambage was a South Georgia native who wound up in New York City as a young woman and became a professional whistler, for one mm-hmm. thing, on I the forgot stage. About that. Uh, with her uh, trained mockingbird, Jimmy, and she also was an artist model. And during the time she was in New York, she met Jay Hambage, who was an artist and writer, and became his partner in life. Um, They traveled to Greece. She learned about weaving while he was studying the Parthenon and other Greek sculptures to um, solidify his thoughts about his uh, theories about dynamic symmetry and proportion, and uh, Mary learned about weaving. She came back to the U.S. after uh, Jay Hambage did. She stayed a little bit longer, I believe, and he tragically died um, not too long after that. Um, Mary found a way to come to the North Georgia mountains through some help of friends of hers and relocated primarily in um, Rabin County at the center, uh, with, uh, the place that later became Hambage Center. So she worked with women in the county mm-hmm. to set up um, a weaving workshop called the Weavers of Rabin and they made fabric that was sold in New York City and and was quite well known at the time. I guess that was maybe the 1940s, 50s, maybe 30s, 40s, 50s. I'm I'm not real clear on on the um, dates of that. But later in the 1970s, Mary Hambage um, was able to begin um, offering the space and property to artists and writers and musicians and through the years since then the center's grown into an artist residency center and she passed away in 1976 maybe um early mid mid 70s so um but the Hambage Center uh, bears her name and is one of the oldest artist residencies in the country, in fact. And my understanding is that Mary and Lillian didn't necessarily correspond, or if they did, I don't think they necessarily got along, which doesn't shock me. Yeah, they were they were um, of the same era, both right. born in the late 1800s, I believe, and lived uh, as Southern women. Mm-hmm. And um, both of them buck tradition, I guess. Mary Hambage in a bohemian sort of way with her lifestyle and her path of um, uh, seeking um, the artistic life and uh, Lillian Smith with her path in seeking social justice and civil rights. I'm thinking about them more. They were both very worldly, very Mm well-traveled, very... Eccentric isn't the word. I like the bohemian because that's how I've heard Mary Hambish described. Yeah. Um, and I wouldn't consider Lillian bohemian, but I mean, 
there are a lot of overlaps, and it is very interesting that they lived about eight or nine miles right. apart, right. and really two totally different kind of paths. Exactly. They, um, Virginia Troy recently published a book about the Hambages, and I was um, asked to do a chapter about my experiences at Hambage as a resident. But I, in talking with Virginia about my section of the book, my chapter in the book, I mentioned the Lillian Smith Center, and she said, why don't you talk about Lillian Smith and Mary Hambage as these um, uh, sort of similar in a way, uh, but opposing personalities, both in the same county at the same time. Right. So I, I wrote about that briefly. And I mean, they're, they're both... I don't know as much about Hambage as you do, but they're both very important for different reasons. Right, exactly. And, and what is kind of fascinating to me when I moved up here um, and started working at the LES Center is you have the Lillian Smith Center, you have Hambage, and the reason we have a, a Lillian Smith documentary from Hal and Henry Jacobs is because they did a documentary on Mary Hambage. <laughs> they were showing it in Rabin, and somebody said, well, do you know about Lillian Smith? And he was like, no. And then that's how he, you know, got involved with that. But you have those two sites. You have Foxfire, which started mm-hmm. mid-late 60s, right after, right. either right before or right after Lillian Smith died, which is chronicling the lives, using high school students to do oral histories and to do other things as well, to chronicle the lives of people in this region, Appalachia. Right. And Elliot Wigington lived at the right. property. And then um, you... As he was starting there. And then you have Raven Gatnacucci School, mm-hmm. which I think is... An important historical school, I mean, started for the kids in this area, if I remember correctly, 1903, and then it's turned into this international boarding school. It's just, it's this really interesting confluence of, I think, different groups within this 10-mile radius of one another. That's a really interesting point, because um, I'm not really thinking about the school, Raven Gap Nakuchi, but of course that that's there too. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, Tallulah Falls School down the way is not and it's not in this county, but it's uh, it's right similar. on the border, mm-hmm. and that's where Paula. So Paula Snelling was a librarian at Tallulah Falls. Oh, I didn't know that. Wow. At least for a few years. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So there's this really interesting, I think, kind of synergy maybe here. Mm-hmm. I mean, to use a overplayed, I guess, business word. <laughs> But it, but it is kind of interesting, and then even I've talked to people before too about the community that Lillian and Paul and, and the women built here on this space. Mm-hmm. So there's something about maybe not just Raven County, but just this locale. Right. Yeah. And then and then you're also one thing we didn't mention too is you're on the board of the John C. Campbell Folk School. Right. And that's not far away either. Right. Right. Just over the mountain. So can you talk about that a little bit too? Because that's another site. Right. John Campbell Folk School was um, started an idea, and here's another link with uh, Piedmont University when it was Piedmont College. John C. Campbell was, I think, maybe the second president of Piedmont College um, back in the early 20th century, and he uh, his health declined, and his doctor, this is a tale that one of the... the um, uh, Jan Davidson, who used to do uh, one of the morning uh, sessions at the folk school, would always tell about John Campbell being um, advised by prescribed <laughs> by his doctor to take a an ocean voyage as to yeah. promote his health. 
So anyway, John Campbell met on his ocean voyage the woman who became his wife, Olive Dane, and they were quite interested in the welfare of the mountain folk, the mountain people, the, um, the status as things were at the time, and what might be done to help um, uh, help improve that in some way. So they did a tour through the southern region, southern mountains, uh, maybe in the early, late teens of the 20th century, uh, possibly the early tw 1920s, not too, not too far into the 1920s. But John Campbell passed away before uh, he and his wife could establish what they had hoped to do. They had found out through their, their travels and their talking with people in communities that education was very important and that not necessarily education for the children, but how do you keep the adults engaged and what do you do that would be um, beneficial for the mind. So that's one of the goals that Olive Dane Campbell, uh, as a widow of uh, John Campbell, continued his thoughts, his, his ideas, and she and a friend of hers um, continued their trips through the southeast and wound up in Brasstown, North Carolina, which is not too far from here, and found a community of mountain people who were eager, ready, willing, and able to help establish um, a center um, that became a school, a school for um, young adults. Uh, they also were very community uh, engaged by setting up a cannery, uh, having a creamery. Uh, they had a dairy on the property at the folk school. And the folk school today is a destination for people really from all over the country and even all over the world to come take short workshops in a variety of crafts and music and writing and cooking and things like that. But it began as a place that community could come and um, study and have shared facilities like the cannery and the creamery. Um, but anyway, it uh, started in the 1920s. It's going to celebrate its 100th anniversary in uh, 2025, began as a school in 1925. So there's, there's a few things you were saying there, and I didn't know that history about John C. Campbell. A through line with each of these spaces in different ways. And there's one more space I'm thinking about that I know about, and there are probably more, but Camp Marywood in Sapphire, North Carolina, mm. which was also a girls' camp. It's actually still in existence. Um, it's a girls' camp, and they have campers from around the world. But Lillian was connected with Dami Day, who ran the camp for a little while. Camp Marywood was actually the first camp to host an integrated YMCA meeting. Um, I remember hearing that story when I went up there to visit it. But all of these sites, these camps, Raymond Gatnacucci started for the community, or mm -hmm. from, from my understanding, from the people in the community, because it was not a boarding school. That came later. Foxfire started for the community. Mm -hmm. I would say that Laurel Falls didn't necessarily start for the community. It brought campers from all over Georgia and the nation and of the world. She had campers from Japan and other nations here, too. But 
it kind of made a community here and also incorporated kids and others from the community too because I know that people came up here. Hambage, of course, with the women. So there's this thread of kind of education and community building up Mm -hmm. here too in these different pockets still so close together. Right, yeah. Yeah, it's, um, and, you know, it, it, it really was uh, it, a lot, there were a lot of things going on in the early 20th century, because not only in this area, but in western North Carolina and in eastern Tennessee with uh, settlement schools and with um, places that were set up to produce uh, work uh, by people in the community that could then be sold in various um, marketplaces. Southern Highland Craft Guild, for instance, became uh, an uh, organization that uh, combined a couple of those early um, I don't know, organizations. I don't know what kind of crafts, you mentioned that, I don't know what kind of crafts they learned here. I know they did jewelry, I think they did silver work here, they did pottery. And other things here, there's still a kiln underneath where we're sitting right here, right? That's why I was interested when you said you were going to show Chris Kelly, who was here earlier, right. um, the um, art department head at Piedmont and Potter, um, show him the kiln. I didn't realize there was a kiln here. Yeah, That's so cool. so Bill showed me one time, and I asked Chris, I was like, how old is it? Because it looks kind of recent. He's like, That's old. Hmm. So is I'm it assuming it's a electric from, kiln or? I don't know. Mm-hmm. You have to look at it. But from what I understand, the silver work and probably the pottery was done beneath here, right? <laughs> um, so underneath here, I think the silver work stuff, from what from what somebody told me, was underneath the common room. So that type of stuff they were doing here, I don't think they solved it, but mm-hmm. they were still learning those kind of things too, along with other things. Mm-hmm. So that leads me to kind of this other question because we've gone off and talked about things that are extremely important, I think, to the region. Because like again, it's not just the Lillian Smith Center that is here. There is so much here that is just not connected, but connected, mm-hmm. um, which I think is an important thing. But you mentioned you started coming here in 2009. Uh, Peggy just kind of told you about it. How has this place—I want to talk about your artwork in a, in a little bit, but how has this place kind of shaped you? Because you've, you've been coming up here, I guess that would be about 14 years at this point, mm-hmm. right? How has this place kind of impacted you, like from the initial and then maybe even to now? Yeah, um, it, it's had a big impact, both my times at Hambage and also my times at Lillian Smith, being able to come to a, a residency experience, spending time away from home, away from obligations at home. Um, unfortunately, puts a lot of a lot of extra work on my husband, but he's been very gracious and, and understanding that I need to um, spend these away times um, to solidify images and thoughts about images. So anyway, um, yeah, I, I've been here every year since 2009, at least once. Um, a few years, I've been able to come a couple of times, maybe for a weekend and, and then a longer period in um, uh, either spring or summer. I was looking back through some pictures of um, that I'd taken recently, re- uh, recently at a recent 
uh, residency last year, I guess it was, trying to find when the fringed orchid that I had discovered was um, blooming. It was earlier, either late July or early August, so I missed it this year. But it's been um, uh, a wonderful place to get away, uh, just focus on some things, uh, not necessarily having particular goals in mind, although I have worked on both of my books here um, at different times. I've worked on the new book that's at the publisher now here. I've written articles or at least drafts for articles while I've been here. I've done weaving samples for workshops that are coming up. So it's it uh, gives me a, a focus. You know, it's it's almost like your life is a funnel, and then there's a point where there's this this uh, spout of the funnel, and it's like the residency times are that. I can pull these many different parts together and just kind of concentrate for a burst of time, maybe a week's time or um, a few times, two weeks' time, and really accomplish, um, in my mind, accomplish a lot. Um, and the exhibit that you have at the Mason Scharfenstein, you know, shows how much you accomplished mm-hmm. here. So, like I said, I went to the opening last week. There was the opening at the gallery, and you gave a little talk. And I walked in, and I realized most of this stuff is is inspired by LES. The right. one piece that I saw, of course, was the huge tapestry of the chimney, mm-hmm. which we need to talk about. And that has been on some of our promotional materials and mm-hmm. some of the postcards and things, too. And that is inspired by the chimney um, that used to be the chimney for the for the gym that was at the camp, and it's you know next to where Will is buried. Right. And the title of that piece is Because of Memory. Right. So can you talk about that piece a little bit and then kind of talk about maybe some of the other pieces that you mm-hmm. are displaying there or have worked on here? Yeah. Yeah, that chimney um, is obviously a striking feature of the, of the property. Uh, one sees it when you drive in. You, if, you, if you drive through the road around the property, you can't miss, can't miss it. And I had walked past it. Uh, in fact, every stay that I have here, I start out by going down and saying in my mind, hello to uh, Lillian Smith. I, I always at, end my stays here with that. Do you? Yeah. So I stop at her grave, read the headstone um, that says, death can kill a man. That is all it can do to him. It cannot end his life because of memory. And I believe that's a quote from the journey. So it... Uh, that quote really struck me, uh, as did the chimney, the stones of the chimney. I love the um, different colors of the of the stone. I love the shapes, the irregular shapes. How whoever um, assembled that chimney put those small shapes together with the big shapes, with the oblong shapes, and just uh, made it work. So I had taken a lot of photographs of the chimney. And one summer when I was here, I brought some big canvas with me, and I guess it was the first uh, chance that I had that Robert let me use his art studio <laughs> in the woods. And he was protective of it? He was, yeah. He, he, that was his studio, and I still think of it as Robert's studio. But yeah. anyway, 
it was uh, a chance to be able to put up large unstretched canvas and just paint big shapes. So I, I took photographs, printed out the photographs, took them down to the studio, pinned them up beside the canvas, and then just looked at those while I was making this, um, this painting. Um, I even dug up some of the dirt around and um, sort of mixed it with um, acrylic medium and put some of that into the, into the painting to get the um, red clay color. Anyhow, uh, later I used that image, that painting, as the design for that big tapestry. And I called the tapestry because of memory. And that chimney, like you said, it is a focal point, and it is a very important focal point of the center because I've seen videos and images of Lil walking by touching that chimney. Mm -hmm. There's a reason she's buried beside that Mm -hmm. chimney. Mm -hmm. It was part of the camp, and I really think that she saw that camp as an important role in her life, even though she moved on from it to Mm -hmm. try and claim herself more as an artist. But the things and the lessons that she taught, I think she sees as important in the lives that she affected there. So that chimney had a very important thing for her. And then, of course, for you, it has an important thing. And then for me, it does, too, because every time I came up here, that's where Bill and I would sit and talk or I would talk to people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I took a picture of him right before he passed. for I wanted people to kind of write him note cards and some people wrote him note cards he, he was really asking me he was like why are you taking a picture of me he was like all like worried I was like don't worry about it so I was a little worried about him so I, I put I put it on social media and, and um, had people kind of write him note cards and postcards and they wrote him and sent them to him but I, I wanted to take a picture next to his favorite spot and he was like the chimney mm-hmm. I asked Pearl whenever you know I asked her where she wants to take a picture is next to the chimney mm-hmm. it's an it's an important kind of spot not just because little buried there but also because of what that comes from the gym right and like you said the memory those memories are still here right even if we don't know what all those memories are they're still here right yeah right so that um that piece was to me to my mind a, an important piece to do and i really um have enjoyed the way Piedmont, uh, I think Craig was the one who um, asked first to use that image for note cards um, for the center, and I was happy to, to let that happen. So anyway, that's a, that's a special piece to me, but there are several other, um, almost every tapestry, as you pointed out, that's in that show came from images that I developed while I was here either by drawing or painting or um, photographing um, something. There's a a little, um, it looks abstract, tapestry that's near the window, Mm -hmm. a small one, and it's um, stones and moss, Mm -hmm. and it was taken from the walkway between Peeler and and the chimney, the garden area now, just those big, irregularly shaped stones, um, and the pine needles that fall down in between uh, that nice red-orange color of the pine needles and then the, the green greenishness of the mosses that grow on them. So that, that was another. Um, one thing I'd like to do here is, <coughs> pardon me, is pick up leaves. You saw me this morning picking up leaves. Every time leaves I see you around. here, you're doing that. <laughs> I've got my hand full of 
leaves. Most of them are off the ground. Um, sometimes I do pluck them. Um, I always tell the tree thank you if I if I happen to pluck it. Um, anyway, I like to take that little leaf that when it falls is still vital for a little while, but soon begins to wither and, and crinkle and dry and then becomes leaf litter out in the woods or just uh, bits of trash on the porch like we are here seeing the leaf litter on the porch. But anyway, I like but to But can we say that leaf litter is trash? Yeah, anyway. well, yeah, it's good trash. Yeah. <laughs> um, so take those little things and... Um, preserve them in the sense that I make a, a drawing of them and I like to sometimes really enlarge them beyond their size yeah. uh, take them out of scale one of my favorite artists is Alex Katz who does massive paintings of um, meadows or trees or um, different things where you might have a mural size um, painting with this tiny thing blown up really large. So that's one thing that I like to do with the um, images of these little leaves is to then interpret them in a tapestry uh, where they become bigger. Um, one of the uh, pieces, one of the tapestries in the show is Five Leaves for Miss Lillian. Yeah. And with Lillian's name as the, the Lillian... Um, those are leaves that were from a painting here. The eight leaves, uh, another large tapestry, is is from a painting I did here. So it's, um, yeah, almost, uh, I think it was in around 2006, I realized that most of my artwork has been um, inspired by um, images I find in nature. And more and more through the years, and especially since 2009, since I've been coming here, more and more those images are not necessarily bigger landscape, but the, the small little ephemeral parts of that landscape, like a leaf. Right. One thing I think about, too, is when you were talking about the chimney, I think about every time I'll go to look at the chimney, I'll go to see if there's a snail on it. Oh, yeah, right. There's probably two or three snails sometimes on uh -huh. the chimney, and just looking at them crawling or sliding, whatever they do, you know, over the chimney. Right. It's just inspiring may not be the right word, but it's just it's just really pleasant and cool to kind of see. And you talked about memory in that piece called Because of Memory and the thing on Lillian Smith's um, tombstone or grave, gravestone. And that makes me think about what you do for this place. Because one of the things that you do is you actually donate money for a residency award mm -hmm. for the McClure Scanlon Visual Artist Residency Award. So it is kind of your memory passing on to this place too. And I've had some of the recent recipients of that award on the on the podcast. I tried to record one. Hopefully we'll get it done again, but it didn't record. So we had this great conversation and it didn't record. Mm -hmm. So hopefully mm -hmm. I'll get to talk to Claire again about it. Oh, um, sure. But can you kind of tell us how that got started? Why you wanted to do that? Mm -hmm. Why you wanted to do it here? and kind of what you hope the legacy will be for that. Right. Well, I wanted to do it here because this place has been so important to me and, and my work, and I know that it would inspire and um, uh, motivate other people. I, uh, 
through my early career, was fortunate to be able to receive a couple of scholarships and a couple of awards that caused me to take opportunities I wouldn't have otherwise. So I'm not, uh, my husband and I are not uh, wealthy, wealthy, but we're well enough off that we can look around and say, uh, well, let's give to this or let's give to that because it can um, can be beneficial to a, um, to the next generation. And that's, although I know that the residency here, I hope that you would pick from whomever applies um, and not limit it age-wise, but I would hope that it would be sometimes uh, making it possible for a for a young person to um, take advantage of a little bit of time away that they couldn't afford otherwise. Um, so, yeah, I've been doing that, um, my husband and I have, for a few years now, so I'd like to continue that and for I a know few that years longer. We have an interview with Lauren Woods, who was, I think, the McClure-Scanlon Award winner a couple of years ago. We've had visual, um, sorry, mixed media artists um, doing video and mm-hmm. things like that. The, the winner this year was actually a recent Piedmont University graduate mm-hmm. and, you know, does watercolors and things of that nature. So it is a great award to be able to help, you know, artists to have that time. Mm-hmm. And if you would like to kind of help out with that award, just shoot us an email and we'll, we'll tell you how to do that. At, just email us at lescenter at piedmont.edu. And I'll say that again at the end of the podcast, just in case you would want to help support that award or any of the other residency awards we have in any other way. Mm-hmm. So let's kind of wrap up, I guess, with if you would tell somebody, and I'm sure you have told people to come here. Right. If you had to tell somebody to come here, why would you tell them to come here? I would tell them to come here because of the beauty of the place, for one thing, um, and also the privacy um, and this this feeling of um, being safe. Um, you're out in the woods, but you're not isolated. You're a mile away from town. You're a mile away from town. Um, I like the fact that I can be in my studio or in my cottage and not see or talk to anybody if I don't want to. Um, I don't have an obligation to meet up with anyone for dinner or um, uh, check in with anybody. Although I do miss Bill Watts, who was the longtime um, friend of Lillian Smith, grew up um, knowing her, the caretaker here. Mm -hmm. I always enjoyed talking to Bill, and he passed away this year, and I'm really sorry and miss him. But also Pearl, who's been coming for years and working with uh, Lillian Smith. So, you know, I like I like that connection. Um, so why would anyone want to come here to, to feed your spirit, to feed your soul? Um, maybe you might come down to the common room and see one of the DVDs about Lillian Smith. Um, I guess they're still available for people to see. Um, or... Uh, take a look at her writing if you haven't yet. You'll just pull a book off the shelf in any of the cabin you're in? Right, right. So it's it's just a a great place to um, be with your thoughts and uh, get some work done.
I think that's perfect. I mean, that, that's what this place is. Mm-hmm. So thank you for joining me today. Thank you for asking. Um, again, if you would like any information on how to help support any of the Artist Residency Awards, the McClure-Scanlon Visual Artist Residency Award, our Writer and Service Award, our Emily Pierce Graduate Student Award, or the um, Gabriella Stoff Award, just send us an email at lescenter at piedmont.edu, and we'll give you more information about them. So again, I hope the rest of your stay goes well. Great. Thanks. Thanks again. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dope with Lime. Did you enjoy this episode? Have thoughts? Use the hashtag Dope with Lime on social media or get in touch with us at lescenter at piedmont.edu. You can learn more about Lillian East Smith and the center by visiting www.piedmont.edu backslash les.